what's the situation on the merch? What have you got? Is it any more <laughs> or is it situation? just... Well, what, where we, do you got, go? we have merch. No, it's great. With limited merch. I said, what's the situation with it? So what? It's we dire. Have, the situation is dire because the podcast <laughs> is wrapping what up just those? as we've ordered thousands of shirts, hats, and pens. Please push the merch. Mm. This we've might even lot. be called an emergency, and we need help. <laughs> Strikeforce5.com. All the, all the proceeds from yeah. this are going to go into the losses sustained by... Yeah, we may, we may not make right? a profit from this podcast yeah, just because sense. of the merch. Yep. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> it was fun. Very limited edition, but you can get hats. Yeah. You can get shirts. Yes. And a you pen. Can get a pen, and it's green, electric Emblazoned green. with the Strikeforce 5 logo. The very beautiful, limited edition. Your friends yeah. will be jealous. Collector's items from our soon-to-be-defunct podcast. It, it, it would be a little bit like wearing a, a Brooklyn Dodgers jersey. Yeah, throwback. You know. Yo, that's it's a, a throwback. Pee Wee Reese would wear Strikeforce 5. <laughs> yeah. If you were alive today. Yes. Strikeforce5.com, they accept everything. You, what, what, do you, what kind of cards you got? Any cards? <laughs> They'll take they, cards. Playing cards. We'll cards. Take, we they, will literally take anything for this merch. Pokemon cards. Dave and Buster's cards. That's fine. You know, don't buy a shirt. Buy a whole box of shirts. Yeah. Buy shirts for your town. One for each day of the week. Like you used to, like underwear when you were a, a kid. Like if you're a little girl, you get Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday underwear. If you're a little girl, get your parents' credit card. Go to strikeforce5five.com and buy, buy, buy. Or, bye, bye, bye. Or for us, it's going to be bye, bye, bye. Taylor Swift would wear it. She is does this, wear it. She does wear it. I mean, I think my only fear about this merch promo is that we were too enthusiastic. <laughs> Listen, buy some goddamn merch or this could ruin us. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to episode 10 of the podcast, a podcast I am not going to name yet, as I think we all know by now that every time that lightning strike sounds, something inside Seth Meyers dies. Yeah. I am John Oliver. Joining me first is a man born on November 13th, 1967. No, it is not Steve Zahn, though you're right, that is exactly when he was born too. I'm talking about Jimmy Kimmel. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, did you know? Did you know you shared a birthday with Zahn? You did. I did, yeah. Okay. That's yeah. cool. I know that kind of stuff. Joining the two of us uh, is a man born on December 28, 1973, the very same day that the Endangered Species Act was signed into law, meaning he sadly never got the chance to legally eat a black-footed ferret, which is very much not to say that he has never eaten one. Seth Myers is here. <laughs> and I'll never tell. <laughs> is it like Those chicken? feet are delicious. <laughs> Everything's it's, like it's, chicken. Yeah. It's not worth it. It's not worth <laughs> risking the legal exposure. Next is an individual born on May 13th, 1964, when My Guy by Mary Wells was number one, a song I'm sure a certain Nicaraguan dictator sang to him as he slept in his crib. <laughs> it's Stephen Colbert. Hola. Hola, mi amigo. And finally, someone born on September 19th, 1974, a man who has so far spent 49 years and eight days failing to read Moby Dick. It is Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> I'm getting closer and closer. Jimmy, well, here's the thing. Call Jim, me, uh, call me got, Jimmy. I've actually got a gift here for you, Jimmy, that I'm going to send to you. I was in a second-hand store, and I found this. It's a 1954 picture book of <laughs> Moby Dick adapted for the young reader. 
Oh my God. I cannot. It's I honestly cannot pages. Wait. Read a page a day. You'll be done by the end of the year. You can do this. How many pages is it? 69 pages. That's too many pages for a picture book? No, it's not too many. <laughs> That's too many pages. Even their picture book is too long. That's crazy. Now, if any of us sound a little excited right now, it's because as we talk, the Writers Guild have made an interim agreement with the AMPTP, meaning that this five-month strike is about to come to an end, which is clearly... <laughs> Fantastic news for our shows, fantastic news for everyone who works in TV and films, and frankly, fatal news for this podcast. But listen, <laughs> don't be sad that this podcast is over. Be angry that it ever had to happen in the first place. <laughs> uh, what, what would each of you do when you found out? Well, John, real quick, do you think the podcast was a tipping point for negotiators? I mean, history I think, will be the judge. Yeah. I think they put a certain amount of pressure on all parties. When they started, when they were in the room and both sides agreed, what would episode twenty-one even be? (laughs) (laughs) Things got thin around nine. (laughs) Nine got kind of thin. Oh (laughs) shit! They've assembled the strike force. We better get this done. (laughs) What are you looking forward to the most in coming back? Wait, can I tell you real quick where I was because we completely ignored you, and I feel bad. True. And I think that when we ignore John's questions, it just really doubles down on why he doesn't have guests on his show. (laughs) So. I, John, you'll, uh, you will appreciate this. I was yeah. watching the uh, Steelers game in bed. I'm a big Steelers that. fan. They were playing the Raiders. And I was so excited to get the strike news. But then the game got very close. And this is my mental illness as a sports fan. I realized that if the Steelers lost that game, even though the strike ended on the same day, it would be a sum negative of a Sunday. <laughs> wow. Mercifully, they pulled it out. But the highlight for me was uh, Stephen... You FaceTime. We had a nice FaceTime. Kimmel did not join us. You were you were elsewhere. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know about it. Oh, did you not see? Is... It was to, it was on the chain. It was, it was an accident. Five. He had one co- he had COVID. <laughs> I always assume it's an accident when a FaceTime message pops up on my phone that somebody did it by you know. Just yeah, Seth, mistaken. you were in bed, right? I was in bed, um, and you were eating a slice of no, no, no. pizza. <laughs> no? Do slice not try to pin Black your peccadillos on me. <laughs> I was uh, I was in uh, I went to dinner for my daughter's uh, uh, birthday that night, and uh, I was refreshing my phone like every forty five seconds, which no one at the table approved of, because <laughs> I wanted this. I was there was a lot of like, Would you please put that away. I'm like, nope, cannot, and nothing happened. Nothing happened, and I get home, and I'm I take a minute to not do that, and I get a text from Kimmel saying, it's over, it's over, boys. <laughs> When it my, happened, like most people, I get my news from Jimmy Kimmel. Mm-hmm. My yeah. wife told me, and when she announced it to the house, she goes, "It's over." And our six-year-old, for reasons I still don't understand, goes, "Donald Trump got arrested." <laughs> um, wow. Yeah, kind of, but not not today. <laughs> no, that's, yeah. I, I thought you were a six-year-old was going to say the marriage. <laughs> we, we figured. We figured. The kid, we we talked the about best. it as kids, and it seemed like yeah. My kids, my kids applauded. Years later, people say, your parents got divorced. Was that hard? And she said, no, they were so happy when it happened. <laughs> you could tell. What about you, Oliver? Where were you? I was sitting at home. I, I just brushed my teeth. I saw the group chat explode. I saw your FaceTime. I didn't realize you could do group FaceTimes. Me neither. I didn't realize English like people brushed their teeth. This is incredible. <laughs> oh, that is, oh, wow. come on. Yeah. Wow. That is, un- come on. Yeah. That you is so did, that You is did true. put it on a T for him, John. <laughs> yeah, I mean, come yeah, on. your fault. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think we did? Okay. I don't know. I figured just gargling with a little bit of uh, seltzer polish. or something. Yeah, gargling with shoe polish. 
Worcestershire sauce. Flossing with a twig. Worcestershire sauce. I mean, this is, you're, you're dancing dangerously close to hate speech right now. <laughs> what are you looking forward to the most with your shows coming back? I'm going to personally find it weird not throwing to Ryan Reynolds commercials every 20 minutes. I might end up doing that. You still can. At one point. You still can. Yeah. Yeah. I, got, so I, don't want to, I just want to, I want to see the roots. I want to see the band. I want to hear the music. I'm so spoiled on our show. Like, we all are, I guess. I mean, we're the most overly not John, entertained. Not Oliver. Oliver. John gets nothing. He just gets some kind of um, stock music track, right? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I get yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I just sit here <laughs> with my ancestral terrible teeth. <laughs> A pain that I don't even not, feel because I'm so great. accustomed to it across generations. <laughs> I'm just in general looking forward to uh, knowing what's going on in the world. I get my news from my show. <laughs> me, and, too. Uh, yeah, me too. Me too. too. I, you know, there's that New York Times news quiz that you get emailed once a week, and I <laughs> yeah. crush it on shows on weeks where I have a show. I crush it, yeah. and when I'm not reading monologue setups, I have no idea what's going on. I I know it's a good vacation if I do badly on that quiz. Like yeah. I'm, I'm upset if on vacation I do well on that quiz. I wanted to start this episode by reaching back to something Stephen you said during the Letterman episode about the fact that you spent a bunch of your childhood trying to get your mom to laugh. And it, it reminded me of the, there was a great story that Seinfeld told about when he realized he loved jokes. He was apparently sitting on a stoop with his friend and they were uh, having milk and cookies. And Jerry made his friend laugh so much, he spat milk and cookies into his face. And in that moment, he remembers thinking, I like this feeling. And I was wondering if there were, what kind of, what were the most memorable laughs you remember getting when you were growing up? If there was any particular that made you fall in love with comedy? I mean, not to start off dark, but coming back from the funeral of my father and my brothers, like coming literally in the limo with my sisters, coming back from the graveside, my sister Mary made my sister Margot laugh at something so hard that she snorted and fell on the floor of the limo and rolled around. And I thought, she, if that can happen right now, I want nothing more than that. Like it wasn't, I didn't get the laugh, but like at that moment, like shit, I want to be able to do whatever that was that I just saw and I was 10 but that's what stands out to me is like the best laugh I ever saw it's wonderful I had a history teacher in high school named Mr. Mills who did something terrible and diabolical to me I was interrupting the class too much he liked my jokes so I thought oh I'll do a thousand of them every class every period and so Mr. Mills finally had enough of me and my jokes and he said that's it you told one more joke in this class you fail. You fail the class. And I was very upset. And then the class was upset and they objected. And he <laughs> changed it to you can tell one joke a week and that's <laughs> it. And I would wait until Friday because I was worried I might slip wow. and fail the class. I'd wait till Friday. And there was so much pressure on that joke because I knew it, that was it for the whole week. And when I don't remember specifically what dumb things I was saying, but when they scored, it was the greatest feeling and when they didn't i'd go home feeling sick to my stomach wow i remember going to summer school uh in in, in high school because i failed the regents test in english or something and i had to go to summer school and, and my grandfather it would kind of help raise me and live with our family and my grandma and grandpa and my he was like i'm so disappointed he's like you're gonna learn your lesson you're gonna this summer you're going to summer school i go i know this is terrible my mom and dad like you, you know, this is terrible. This is what happens when you, when you don't do well, you got to go to summer school. I go, okay. So we drove into summer school and you're in class with all class clowns, the funniest people. <laughs> it's like the greatest thing that ever, I found my tribe. I go, this is the greatest thing. It's like comedy camp. 
I loved it. I loved summer school so much, and we would joke all day long. I go, "This is the best thing ever." This is like, and I remember like not learning my lesson at all. Lesson not learned. <laughs> it's like a movie where they put all the criminals in the same jail, and it turns into a supervillain squad. They go, "Why'd you put them together?" It was great. Yeah, but I remember like always doing bits growing up, and. And making my mom and my grandfather, my, my dad laugh. And we were very like, my grandpa would cry when he would laugh really hard. So if you can get him to cry laughing, it was like really funny. Then he couldn't stop and his laugh would make other people laugh. You know, so I would do impressions or I would do, you know, Rodney Dangerfield jokes or something like that. And they, you know, or some, some bit in front of them. And they'd, once he starts laughing and crying, my mom would start laughing and crying. Then everyone's just laughing. And we didn't even know what we're laughing at, but it was always bits around the house and doing stuff and performing. But I think it was my parents that that got me into that big laugh, getting that laugh and like going, that was a good bit. We did a comedy night in my high school where a bunch of us did a sketch where we played different teachers. And most of it was if there was sort of a portly soccer coach, someone would just put a pillow under their sweatshirt and that (laughs) would get a big laugh on the entrance. But I did an impression. We had this really beloved law teacher and I did an impression of him and this has never happened after so I should note that I I went in the moment I thought I was going to be an impressionist for the ages but when I did his voice people almost gasped and it was just that feeling (laughs) can you do any of it do you remember any of it yeah I'm going to start doing it but I do I will need you I know you've never heard him I will need you to gasp when it starts that's the only way it works for me yeah Good evening, West High students. No, I just did walk-in. I just did oh. walk-in. That wasn't what he sounded like. <laughs> See? It already yeah. lost it. I will say, this is a real quick story about my law teacher. My law teacher, and it was cool to have a high school law class, but yeah. he gave this real we'll uh, self-effacing speech at the end of the year. He walked around, he's like, you know, I, uh, I'm not going to say I taught you everything about law, but, you know, I, I like that I could point to anybody in this classroom. And For example, Miss Benderheim. How many Supreme Court justices are there? And just a layup question. And this girl looked at him and goes, 25? And we just watched his heart break. There goes your bit. He just, his heart broke in real time. <laughs> anyway, 25 might be the fun. Right. Great yes, summer, well. you guys. Comedy, uh, comedy <laughs> saved. Great summer. Go to that funny class clown camp. <laughs> it's a bunch of kids who've not read Moby Dick Moby together Dick. laughing. <laughs> In terms of making fun of teachers, I remember, I think it was me and my friend Becky were like handed over a little portion of an assembly once, and we made fun of the teachers in this sketch so hard. It was great laughter. But I remember being called to see the head teacher afterwards saying, you have offended and hurt a lot of people who work at this school. <laughs> and it was just funny enough that I think you're going to get away with it. And I think I internalized that message of, be just funny enough to not get into trouble, done. That That's will be it. the mantra for the rest of my life. That's it. That is the key. Uh, talking about milk coming out of a nose, this is just the hard, the funniest reaction I had to something that made me laugh. Mike Shoemaker was in my office, and we listened to, there's a Lonely Island song called Mona Lisa that's in the great movie Popstar. And it's revealed, it's a song about a guy, Andy singing about going to see the Mona Lisa, and he heard it's great, and then the whole song is how ugly the Mona Lisa is, and how he feels lied to. And there's a line of, uh, where it says, uh, it's not, like, I'm an American, it is my native land, where no one lies about paintings, but that's not the case in France, where the naked ladies dance and they look like Dennis Franz. 
And when <laughs> the line that the Mona Lisa looked like Dennis Franz, we laughed so hard that I threw up and Shoemaker farted. <laughs> I was In that eating. Order? Wow. I was and eating you guys and I started to gag. And I threw up and Shoemaker farted. And we and then needless to say, I think the happiest Sandberg ever was when we immediately called him and said, We got <laughs> Good Maybe reaction. the best review you're ever going to get. Yeah. It's one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. Like, I, I think that movie yeah. deserves to be up there with Spinal Tap in terms of like yeah. repeat watches. It only gets better. It was unbelievable, that movie. I it loved it, great. too. I totally agree. Well, let's, uh, let's take a moment to hear from one of our sponsors. Yes, that guy. Hi, it's me, Mr. Ryan Reynolds, owner of Min Mobile. Even though the writer's strike is over, I will never stop doing ads for this loser's podcast. I love telling people how they can get premium unlimited wireless for $15 a month for unlimited time. And I cannot just give that job to anyone. My customers need to hear the message from me. Big time movie star, Mr. Ryan Reynolds. Even if I could get the best sidekick in late night history, I will say no. And what will the Strike Force 5 do without these funny ads from Mr. Ryan Reynolds? They will be f***ing screwed. That's why no one will ever replace me, not even that sexy beast Guillermo. So, I, Ryan Reynolds, will say it again. Get unlimited from Mint Mobile for $15 a month for a limited time and go to mintmobile.com slash strikeforce to learn more. Good? Okay. How much do I get paid for this bullshit? $45 upfront required plus taxes and fees. Three-month promo rate renews at full price. Limited time for new customers only. Data speeds reduced after 40 gigabytes per month for unlimited. Video streams at 480p. Visit midmobile.com. So uh, one aspect of late-night shows that we haven't talked about much is remote pieces or field pieces on uh, all of our shows. And I was wondering, what, what are the remote pieces that have been the hardest to pull off that you've done or that you couldn't believe that you got away with? Seth, your day-drinking pieces have you flying pretty close to the sun physically yeah. every time you do it. Yes, but we that was a solution to the fact that I have so much respect for people who go out and do remotes because I got so much anxiety anytime I went out of my studio. I remember we tried to do a St. Patrick's Day piece and, you know, I think especially doing Late Night and Conan, I think it was sort of set this very high bar for what you could find out in the street and I just immediately hated it. I immediately hated how out of my element I was. And so we got off the street and we went to a, a Irish bar and then I just started drinking and, and sort of killed or numbed the part of me that had anxiety. And I think that's how we ultimately ended up with day drinking. It's the only way I can have any fun out of the studio is if I drink enough to stop worrying about the fact that I have lost control of the proceedings. Not, not a show day though. Never a show day, no. We learned the hard way. Have you guys found that it became increasingly difficult to do a found comedy remote piece as you became more well-known. Like, it was easy when nobody knew who I was. I could go out and get great reactions and surprise people. But then as you become well-known, it becomes harder and to the point where I now feel like I have to limit it to talking to kids or really old people who don't know where I'm coming from. Steven, you, do you miss, like, old Daily Show-style field pieces? Because you kind of created the blueprint for those. It was the early days of that, because I actually predate John. I was from the Craig Kilburn days. And, you fucked uh, with a lot of people for a lot of yeah, years. Yeah, I was the first person to get sued oh. for, 
for, for The Daily Show. What was that for? I interviewed a guy who wanted to uh, create his own community in Southern California in an un- unincorporated portion of Southern California that was all just people over 55 who all vote. And Elon Musk? We, portray- <laughs> we portrayed him as a Hitler-esque character who was in annexing the Sudetenlands of the towns around him. <laughs> and he was a retired lawyer with some time on his hands. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have the honor of, of having been the first person being sued. It got thrown out, but sued. I did so many field pieces that it's hard for me to like pick one because every single one I did, I felt this is the one I can't do. This is the one that I'll break, or this is the one that I, I the improv won't kick in. Like I, I won't be able to find the juice here. And uh, usually three questions in, you're like, ah, something will come of this. But I would always be terrified. I'd want to sign out like a confession, like, I don't know how to do this. I don't know why they send me on the road. I, yeah. I, I don't actually want to make this person uncomfortable. But then three questions in, I'm like, I'm enjoying how uncomfortable this person yeah. is. This is. This is good. The second piece I ever did for The Daily Show back in the Kilburn days in 1997, in June of 97, I went to the National KKK convention in Pulaski, Tennessee. And of course, oh, yeah, they I go who, every year. I go there. They didn't know, <laughs> they didn't know who. They're much bigger now. Back then, there down. were literally like tens of people when I was there. It's much bigger now. But we spent the day with these guys, you know, talking about a fun. It was a summer kicker, like something fun to do this summer. And at the end of it, they said, do you want to come out to the country tonight? Because there's a, uh, there's a little event we're going to be doing in a field tonight if you want to come. I'm like, yeah, sure. Can we bring the cameras? Okay. So we go out, and they've mowed this huge spot in the field, and there's three burning crosses. And there's a bunch of idiots in white robes walking around and families and everything. So we shoot some stuff there. We do some interviews there. And at the time, Comedy Central was doing a, a thing where they just wanted correspondents to say, you know, I'm Stephen Colbert and this is Comedy Central, whatever, we're, whatever we're in front of. So I stood in front of this burning crosses and I said, I'm Stephen Colbert and this is Comedy Central in front of these burning crosses. And, but we hadn't said Comedy Central the whole day. We'd said Daily Show because you could kind of get away with the Daily Show back then. And I turn around and I didn't know that these four good old boys were standing right behind the camera. And they said, comedy what? What are you doing? Are you making fun of us? The fuck is this? And my producer Whoa. runs over this wonderful girl named Kiara Anderson, who we called Chewy because she was tall and blonde and, and had big shaggy hair. And she goes, guys, what's the problem? And they said, this motherfucker is making fun of us. And what is Comedy Central? And, what? and she goes, listen, your boss, meaning the head of the clan, like the grand wizard, she goes, your boss knows all about this. He knows the whole thing. You have any problems, you talk to him. He goes, well, we're gonna. And all four of them walk away across the field. And she turns to me, she goes, whole ass. And, we, and we, I grab like a camera bag, she grabs a camera bag, and we run to our car, get in the car, and they get in their car, and they chase us through Tennessee, like on these country roads while we're hauling ass. And we finally, we finally either give up or we just dust them someplace. They're historically and, uh, that was my good s- at chasing. Yes, <laughs> to a fault, to a genuine fault. Oh, the second piece I ever did, and and to to match the light, we set a pile of newspapers off in by the road so I could do my my closing thing. And I said for the Daily Show, we've had some fun with the idea of the clan tonight, but I think they know how to take a joke. For the Daily Show, I'm a Whitney Brown. <laughs> Don't you? Is there a part of you that misses those days at all? Those run and gun. Well, sure, yeah. Real because trouble. You were kind of, yeah. You were kind of making up games as you went. Like there was no one. There was no. There was nothing to try to ape. I mean, not, not that people ape, but what I mean is, 
It was all discovery. That's what it, was, it was all discovery. That's what I liked about it. Yeah. I should say, that, uh, just in, in terms of discovery, because, Stephen, you were talking about 1997. I I guess I'm trying to figure out what year I would have seen you and Carell on stage at Second City. 92? Uh, I left in spring of 94, and I think he left like a year later. So before but that. I was, uh, you know, I was in college in Chicago. We used to go to Second City. And I remember seeing Steve, the two Steves on stage together. And just knowing I was seeing two people i was like present at the point of discovery i was like these guys are going to be something someday and i'm going to be able to say that i saw them on stage together and so when you first showed up on comedy central on the daily show i was a real i felt very like i knew it is that when you started looking for another seth yeah that's when i started and uh gotten a lot of no's because let's be (laughs) honest there's no shortage of us in hollywood and uh i go down the list you know them all mcfarland hard no rogan Never call me back. Green, not interested. <laughs> wow. Steven, there was a remote, gosh, I, I, and you'll know the answer to this, but I can't remember who was an older man. He was a delightful man, and you had a delightful conversation with him. I sent you an email about it. It was probably 10 years ago, 15 years a ago, maybe. A delightful man, and we had a delightful conversation. He was Thank you for old, the specificity. He was an old man, and you you absolutely fell in love with him. And uh, gosh, I wish I could remember. I was hoping you would. Do you uh, have any idea what the story was I about? I think he was, I believe he was an author. It wasn't one of these. Herman Melville? <laughs> Are you going to be kidding me? Was there a whale in this? You've got to be kidding me. Was it the Colbert Report? What was it? It was, yeah, it was the oh, Colbert oh, Report. Oh, I, I know that. Maurice Sendak, right? Was that it? Oh, oh, yes, Maurice Sendak. Maurice Sendak, that's who that's it was. That, yeah. was, a, that yeah. was an amazing experience. Well, that was actually, yeah. that was supposed to be like one piece, and it turned into five. Yeah. Because we what just had like? the loveliest yeah. conversation. And I think about that all the time, because as a father, I, at one point I say, I think this ended up in one of the pieces that we recut after he died, was what do you do for children? Like, how, 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 do, you, how do you reach children? How do you support them? And he goes, just love them. Just love them as hard as you can, and it'll, that's the best you can do. And I, I've said that to Evie many times. Just remember what Maurice said. We just have to love them as hard as we can and, and, and hope we find the answer. Yeah, I like that. That was good. I have had some weird things happen. I mean, I went, I'd not really smoked pot before I went to Snoop Dogg's house and wound up smoking pot with him. And about 11 minutes into the shoot, I turned to the director. I said, I'm out. I, you guys are going to have to just follow me around because I can't, I can't function. I can't think. And a lot of the piece was me standing in front of Snoop Dogg's refrigerator, just going through it and, and eating whipped cream right out of the can. (laughs) We used to do this thing with Leslie Jones called Game of Jones, where we would watch an episode of Game of Thrones, and she would just do a running commentary. It was based on these Twitter videos she would make, and I would just sit there and we would talk about the episode. I hadn't seen it. And then one time we decided, oh, I'll get stoned with Leslie. And I didn't talk for 45 minutes. And I remember (laughs) my internal monologue was, I was aware that it only worked if I also talked. (laughs) And I just, in my head, it was me saying to myself, talk. You gotta say something. Talk. Have you ever had a remote piece lead you into a place where 
you never imagined it would. I did one thing where I was just a pizza delivery guy, late night pizza delivery at this place called Damiano's. It was on Fairfax in L.A. Uh, look, you remember pizza. that place? Mr. Pizza Damiano's, right? Mr. Pizza Damiano's. Everybody used to hang out there. It was like a place where the comics would hang out. Was Cantor's across the street? or some It's John dining? and Vinny's now. Cantor's is across the street. Yeah, yeah. we would go there, right? And then we go to Mr. Pizza. I love you'd Damiano. See a, you'd see a rat run through every <laughs> once in a while. Yeah, exactly. It was a dark. Piece People would play poker in the back, like a I was, real yeah, high-stakes illegal game. I totally hung out there. And I was just delivering a pizza, and the order came in, and there was nothing set up, and I delivered it to this what seemingly vacant cement building and when i entered the building i realized and this is again like at midnight they were shooting a spanish language dating game show called dos corazones and i walk in with a pizza and they wanted putting me on the show pizza delivery guy outfit oh, and it was this great. there were a 200 people in the audience and this big set and it was one of those bits where you have to explain to the audience like this is not a setup this really happened this is the, and but nobody really believes anything you know when you do that kind of stuff people still think oh this must have been set up but it was not it was one of the strangest things that ever happened <laughs> i did it we did a remote bit with uh, post malone where we took him to olive garden he always went he Apparently he likes going to Olive Gardens, and I've never been to one ever. That checks out. And so <laughs> I go, I'll go with you. So we went to Olive Garden. It was a really fun remote piece. It was great, and just getting to know him and talking to him was great. And then we finished the bit. It was probably like eleven o'clock or ten thirty, eleven o'clock. And he goes, "All right, where are we going now? Like, let's go to a bar." And I was like, "I don't do that anymore. I'm, I'm a grandpa, Alan. I mean, I, I don't." He's like, well, "What's a good bar to go to?" And I go. I, I mean, and I'm trying to be young, and I'm like, like the reason why I, I would go to a bar now is if they have a good burger or something, or if they, you know, I don't go to meet people or hang out or do anything. So I'm like, where did I even used to hang? Everything's closed where I used to hang out. So I go, I think there's this one place they have. It's a Guinness bar, Patty Riley's. I think it's on Third Avenue. And I go, let's go to Patty Riley's. Sometimes they have bands on stage. We'll go there. So we go there. It's we walk in. It's me and Post Malone and a group of people, and I talk to the bartender. I go, hey, how you doing, buddy? I go, this is Post Malone. So he goes, can you, I, can you kind of close the bar down just so we can just have us hang out here? Then, so we closed the bar with the people that were in the bar, and he got on stage with the band and sang probably f- ten songs, I- Irish songs, knew every word to every like chieftains. And I, and I was like, who is this did, kid? did he know every word? Or did he just sing confidently? No, I swear. John, Are you sh- I swear. Are 100% sure about that? I swear to God, Chieftain Post Malone songs. knew every single song to Chief. I'm Irish. And I was like, I kind of know the chorus, but I don't know this part. I don't, I, he's like a genius. And we ended up having the greatest. We should have recorded that as opposed to the, the bit was fine. But Post Malone knowing every, he, singing all and all these Irish people at the bar going like, who is this kid? He is a Malone. I mean, I guess that, he explains true. the Malone. Yeah. Although I did a bit with him when we did day drinking, I ended it with him singing the theme song to Cheers, and he did not know that. <laughs> so he knows and I the entire discography of the Chieftains, but not where everybody and, knows your name. Right, where the, where the lead songs. character's name was also Malone. <laughs> <laughs> didn't he didn't he turn up to that daydream episode having pre-gamed as well which felt like that's the boldest move he misunderstood <laughs> exactly what was about to happen steve carell pitched a piece to john stewart said hey i think it'd be great if steven and i to talk about like inebriation on college campuses or something 
that Steven and I go out and we just get just as drunk as we possibly can and we record it. And I said, I've seen that. I think that's a great idea. I got one more uh, little slight twist on it. What if I don't get drunk and you do and I interview you while it happens? So we went to some, some Times Square bar that we would never go to and he drank a toxic amount of alcohol. Like, I think yeah. it probably HR should have gotten involved with how much alcohol he drank. Like he was <laughs> chugging Long Island iced teas. And, and as the evening went on, I kept asking him sort of the same questions over to check his, like, his reaction time and everything. It, it ended up with him begging me to punch him, like, as hard <laughs> as I could. Uh, him, like, getting a little not funny drunk, you yeah. know? <laughs> and, and then eventually I, I, was, I had a little, you know, Evie's Volvo, used Volvo station wagon. Um, I had to drive him home. And I said, just whatever you do, just throw up out the window. Don't throw up in the car. I know throw this, up yeah. out the window. And he goes, got it. And he threw up on the closed window. <laughs> and, it, and it came down and it got in the door, like got in the door as it came down. And then I took him home and delivered him to Nancy. And she was mad at me. She was like, how could you do this to him? I'm like, it was his fucking pitch. Yeah. The only reason he's home at all is because I didn't drink. And then she saw that I punched him in the, she went, you could have stopped his heart because I punched him in the chest. I'm like, you, you have no idea what a blessing it was that I was there with him. Jimmy, did you, well, you mentioned Olive Garden. Did you have the rights to when you're here, your family? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did. We own the rights. We, I, we still do, I think, own the rights to when... I kept saying as a joke on the show, like, hey, we're at the Tonight Show. And at the Tonight Show, when you're here, you're family. You know, like, making up like it was our slogan. And then they got rid of their slogan. And I said, hey, can you legally give that to us now that you don't use that anymore? And so we had the CEO of Olive Garden come on the show and write me something that said, so Tonight Show, we can have when you're here, your family. And so we had it. And then Olive Garden, their new slogan was like, it's family time. Or it's like, it's family time when you're here or something. That's terrible. It was, you're watching The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> no, but it was something like, it's family time now. And so I was thinking it'd be funny if I sued Olive Garden for coming too close to my slogan. Yes. Which is, when you're here, you're you family. Have done that. Yep. And, and go to people's court and actually sue them. And go, what? Your Honor, their, their slogan's very close to mine, which is, when you're here, you're family. But uh, yeah, we ended up not doing it. Because I think it felt too much like an ad or something. We did a bit where I was complaining that you got that slogan and that I had demanded NBC get me one and that our new slogan was no one out pizzas the Seth. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> Seth, do you, it's not this is how you Jimmy, but it's close. Yeah. Do, oh, this is how do you, how do you Jimmy? Oh, how do you Jimmy? That's Seth, right. you know do the you story Jimmy? of do you when, Jimmy? I, when I found out I had Jimmy? COVID? How do you Jimmy? What was your I'm doing COVID? it right now. Did you ever we're actually get Jimmy the and answer? I are both doing it right now. <laughs> yeah, we're both we're both jimming right now. What was your COVID <laughs> question, Jimmy? What were you saying? Do you remember? I don't know if you you heard the story because remember we we're all going to do SNL because everyone got yes afraid of COVID and there was still I think Paul Rudd was hosting and Lauren was like, do you guys want to come in? And so we're all just going to come in and do SNL. And so I was ready. I had all my bits. <laughs> I was bringing my guitar. I had all sorts of stuff that was would have been terrible, but I was all excited and I got. I got tested by the same, you know, nurses that tested us all every single day for uh, a year. And then they go, come with me. And they put me in a tiny room, like a tiny, like a, I wouldn't even say it's a conference room. It's a, it's a desk with a phone. And they go, someone's going to call you on that phone. HR is going to call you. And I go, 
HR? Like, not a doctor or anything? Like, no, this is NBC <laughs> protocol. HR is going to call you. Go on the COVID phone. Like, what if I don't? What if it's false? What if I did? now I definitely have COVID? I'm and in it's the a glass COVID box, right? room. It's a glass box. Yeah, and on the box, on the glass door, they have catchphrases of famous NBC shows. This is true. And and do you know the story now, Seth? <laughs> no, on the but COVID I, box. Wow. No, there, the there actually are glass like waiting rooms that we would have to sit in for our waiting for our COVID tests. And it so was one up says on, like. Norm, or here's Johnny. And I was in the, what you talking about Willis room. <laughs> when I found out that I had COVID. I have a photo of it. I sent it, dude. I have, it's insane. That's the room I was in. What you talking about Willis. Oh. When I found out I had COVID oh. and I go, can I call my wife? I mean, I didn't know what to do. I was so scared. I didn't know what COVID was. And just the whole thing was so bizarre. I sent it to Tina and Lauren. I was like, this is the room I'm in right now. Dr. <laughs> Willis. We're going to yeah. get you on the phone with Dr. Willis. You can't have a what you're talking about Willis room for something that could kill people. That's too That's high risk. Yeah. The room you can't give them the news in that room. I would argue you can't have a what you talking about Willis room for corporate meetings, which is what it was. That was <laughs> yeah, what was happening yeah, right. before yeah. there were COVID testing. Yeah, that room probably doesn't exist anymore. All right, let's, uh, let's have another quick word from our sponsor. Strikeforce 5 came about as a way to support the people who support us, and we want to take a moment to thank our friends at Kettle One Vodka for supporting Strikeforce 5. Like us, Kettle One is all about community. They have deep roots in cocktail culture, hospitality, and even the entertainment industry. I mean... What would James Bond be without a martini or Sex in the City without a Cosmo? And you know what, talking of community, and I don't think you mind me saying this, Dan Harmon could not have written community without Kettle One. That's a fact. Technically, it should have a co-writer credit on multiple seasons of that show. Tenth-generation distillery owner Carolus Nolet Sr. spent nearly a decade developing Kettle One family-made vodka in order to perfect the recipe. But he didn't do it alone. No, he had countless conversations with lots of different bartenders often consensually. They advised him on everything from the taste of Kettle One to the length of the bottle, which is lucky for us because now we get to enjoy that long, long bottle. It is a really long bottle. Enjoy your bottle responsibly. Kettle One and Strike Force 5 have a shared commitment to craft and community. I've always said that. You know I've said that, right? Said I said before that before we started we even, recording. Yeah. Before we even conceived this, this podcast, I'd be But that's why that. we're so glad to have Kettle One support for this initiative to help people impacted by the current strike. It's over. The, the previous strike, not that there is no current strike. No. Well, that's a gray, it's a gray area. No, it's not been fully ratified <laughs> yet, but restrictions have been lifted. Seth, in one breath, please read the last bit as fast as you can. As always, please drink responsibly. Kettle One Vodka, 40% alcohol volume. Kettle One USA, Elisa Vieja. California. Before we go, we have some questions from listeners here. From Amy Adonis, she said, What movie has made you cry? What scene 100% be truthful? I mean, just the opening Any credits of, of The Natural, and I'm, I'm done. Oh, that was great. I oh, cried yeah. three times in the first 15 minutes of Moana this summer. <laughs> Live action? It, it, uh, uh, no, no, it's the, uh, the cartoon Moana. Just there's a lot of father daughter stuff right off the bat. I'm, I'm up. Yeah. Up. Up is a, yeah. a tough one. I cry at any movie on a plane. Yeah. I don't know what it is about altitude, but I, cry, I swear this is true. I cried towards the end of Blades of Glory. When he, mm-hmm. when he turns up 
he turns up and it seems like they're not going to escape together and then he turns up in the arena. I could feel my eyes filling up. I thought, oh, something is horribly wrong with me. I cannot weep openly. <laughs> and have someone look and say, is that Blade of Glory? Is that John yeah. Hader and Ferrell? What the yeah, fuck I is cried, wrong with I this guy? I remember crying a lot, but I like, I like the roller coaster of laughing and crying like super bad. That, that when they said goodbye in the escalator, that mm. made me uh, tear up. I thought that was beautiful. From Miller's Crossing, the very end of Miller's Crossing, yeah. Leo was walking away from Tom. Fantastic. Tom clearly loves Leo so much. And that's why he had to like, uh, not talk to him anymore. Fantastic. Uh, the first movie I cried was The Champ. Oh, uh, yeah. Yes. Wow. Ricky Schroeder and Ricky John Boyd. Yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> and, and my parents took me to go see that, and I was like, like this is insane. I think that was the first movie I ever cried at. I Me recently too. had dinner with both of them. It went a different way. <laughs> <laughs> I cried at the first movie I ever saw was E.T. because I couldn't believe Elliot didn't get on the spaceship with E.T. Oh, at the end. I yeah. thought that was a terrible fucking ending. Why on earth would he stay with his family when he could go with this alien? Why, why would he die do in space? <laughs> Spielberg is definitely listening right now. I yelled at my parents when they showed us Old Yeller, and I yelled... Do they, do they not know these movies are for kids? <laughs> <laughs> My daughter did that when I showed her. I, re I didn't watch it with her. I rented her. Um, it's his famous, uh, famously shocking for kids. Watership Down, the animated oh, Watership God. Down. I saw that in the theaters with my mom. Traumatic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Watership Down. Uh, uh, rabbits like off. being poisoned and ch yeah. choking to death. And yeah, the shadow rabbit just scratching yeah. rabbits and then oh, yeah. Garfunkel singing over the top of it. Horrendous, <laughs> not a children's film. Uh, Stephen, there's a question here specifically for you from Jessica. It says, I have a question that's been driving me crazy, and he's the only person I can think of who would know. Stephen, why did none of Aragorn's ancestors reclaim the throne of Gondor between the fall of Arno's splinter kingdoms and the War of the Ring? I've yet to find a reason, just that they didn't. Please, please, please solve this mystery for me. Be no quick. one wants this answer. Stephen's like, eyes I just are answer closed. This, this on like my own social Stephen's media. Stephen's eyes are closed. Eyes are already rolling back in their skulls. Mm -hmm. But right do you here. know the answer? Just start talking. Yes. Know stop, start talking, and we'll fade you out as you're talking, and we'll go <laughs> to an explosion, and that will be the end of the podcast. Okay. <laughs> We'll bring there are those two bullies kings. from your one of the north, beat you the up. north kingdom called Arnor, and the south kingdom, which is Gondor, and one of them is Arvedui, and the other one is Iarnor. And in the year of what, uh, two thousand or something like that, the king of Gondor actually died after he was challenged. Previously, Arvedui, who actually died in a in a shipwreck, uh, trying to get away from the Strike Force Five.